Collective potential is a social enterprise that is all about unleashing the potential and creating change in people. Now, with this podcast, we want to bring you real people having real conversations about real life. And today we have uh, Justin Gerrard, I hope I said that right, Justin Gerrard, um, coming in, who has been titled An Awakened Soul, but I really feel like we're all pretty excited about having uh, a great conversation with this guy because he has an interesting story to tell. So let's get into it. Oi, hello there. Hello. Feeling a bit lost, yep. a little confused. Yeah. Well, we're all one. C- C- collective potential. Oh, nice beat. Yeah, it's all right, isn't it? Let's have a real chat. Justin's a mate I met on my travels around the world. Uh, I spent six months making it up as I went, a day at a time, not knowing where I went. Uh, This was last year, and Justin I met in Hawaii. Um, I just just stumbled across it. To give you a bit of context, like I, the, this journey was a bit of like opening my mind as wide as possible and um, different people I crossed. I, I pretty much felt like I'd come across three really awake, um, clear, very smart souls without pumping his stars up too much. It was him first in the first few weeks, then Evelyn in St. Lucia, then Russell in London. And, uh, but yeah, it all started with Justin. So I just wanted to, um, we've had some, some great chats since and we met up in New York later on the trip and uh, just wanted to kind of bring him in because I, I, I love conversations with him and I f- feel like he's got a lot to offer the world in terms of his perspective and, and, and ability to communicate, communicate it. Basically, we're, he's got a real vast background in shitloads of languages and so he can really well articulate truths common truths across different communities and different cultures and different people around the world. Um, so yeah, hopefully that paints a bit of a picture. And of course it does. What are we I'm talking excited. about today, Jess? Community or common unity. Um, so without further ado, we'll say hello to Justin. Hello. You there? Hey, guys. Hey, uh, man. Yeah, I sure am. Thanks for having me on. Uh, and uh, I hope I can at least share some of my experience and that it helps some of your listeners just sort of live more, uh, live more. And that's exactly it for us. This podcast is about people living authentic, purpose-filled lives in a place, in a time where we don't always get um, a space to connect with people and hear stories or things that really Mm. get us to wake up and think about ourselves. That's what it is for us here with Ryan, you know, Ryan's the brain. He's the heart behind this podcast. And Jeremy is a visionary with a very humorous way of looking at life. And I'm a girl with a, with a heart on her sleeve. So having people like you come in and just share with us um, about life is exactly what we want to be doing. Mm. So, what, so what, why common unity? Yeah, so com- I think community for me is like something that's always, I feel like Justin's really w- well yeah. versed in this area, but for me it's something really close to my heart because I feel like I need it in my life. Like I grew up Christian and um, for a lot of years had just a really intimate community of friends um, in the church that I could f- open, be completely vulnerable with and share all aspects of my life and, and be, you know, like have that, loving connection with and, mm. and real support and um you know being able to be vulnerable with someone and 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 he, them to hear you and not judge you and just want to give you what's the best for you um is just priceless and i feel like since i've left the church like when i was 24 and i'm 31 now i f- feel like it's i'm 
slowly find a new family that I can do that with. Um, and I, that's my personal story of why I value community. Um, but I, you know, like I'd be interested to hear like what Ju Justin, what you, how you term community and how you feel like, I think it would be great to have a conversation really largely around like the importance of community, um, if, global community versus local community and the separation, things that separate, separate us and pull us and make us more individuals than require each other and how much do we need each other and all those kind of things like you know so it's a, a very open yeah. plane of conversation but um i just thought I'd, that's where i'll kick it off great yeah i mean i'd say so i have definitely have some thoughts on uh on both uh, many of the things you just pointed pointed out i too sort of grew up in a very spiritual household um at a very spiritual youth um Catholic family, catechism, first communion, commute of uh, confirmation, this whole deal. And my first sense of community came through this, the sacred community of my church. Yeah. Um, and how important that was and that you could have, you know, if people around you who were, it was okay to be pursuing some sort of inner purpose or, um, and there was a communal component to your own individual pursuit of, I won't call it purification or perfection, but just your personal, you know, your inner growth. Mm. And, um, the, you know, it sort of happens around you as a child and you're not really, you know, explicitly aware of it. Um, and I was fortunate enough, uh, when I was younger to have, a neighbor, so let's talk about the neighborhood community that sort of, you know, that the person that was sort of my, um, not my father figure, but uh, what's the sort of surrogate father is the word, uh, who was a student of Swami Rama. And so the, the notion of spirituality was expanded when I was quite young. Right. And um, I was able to see that this pursuit of inner growth had it this multi-dimensional component to it. Um, and so I, you know, the sort of the nucleic model of, of community was my sacred community, was my church. It was a spiritual path. Um, and, but it happened in the world, right? It didn't happen in the cave. It didn't happen in an ashram. Mm -hmm. It happened with people in the community, in the world, in pursuit of something that has individual sort of ramifications as well as communal ramifications. Right. Who was Swami Rama and like, how did this change your views on life with, through, through your friend? So Swami Rama was uh, one of the first, he came to the States. He was, you know, one of these Himalayan ascetics who came to the United States uh, in the fifties and the sixties to really spread this sort of Vedanta Indian worldview of um, the enlightened self and specifically trying to understand what, you know, what, so they had mastered some techniques of the body and he was able to go into some of these scientific clinics and show how he could control his parasympathetic nervous system, basically controlling his body temperature, controlling his breathing temperature, stopping his heart, doing all these sort of yogic technologies, if you will, techniques. Yep. Um, and through that, 
you know, you sort of manifest these physical phenomena to prove that there's some inner awareness, right? That you control things that are perceived to be beyond control, but with enough practice and enough awesome. sort of inner dialogue, you realize that you have the mechanism. You can find those mechanisms. Right? It's so, a bit like the shaman monks, um, isn't it, with their practices? Yeah, so similar to that, and in fact, all the traditions, right? They they do those things. Um, they have found some way into that. And of course, now we're, you know, there's a scientific underpinning of all these things, but at the end of the day, like, um, it requires a tremendous amount of awareness about what lever do you push internally? Like, where does your mind have to sort of go to in order to access that? So, yeah. Um, and so that, yeah, so that was your created kind of, something. Yeah. So, you go. And then he created something called the Himalayan Institute in Pennsylvania, which is a, a community of people sort of pursuing this way of life. You know, not necessarily they, they're lay people who believe in meditation and yoga, um, and they come together and they interact. So it really, it's, it's, it gets sort of catalyzed through the community, right, um, and through these organizations. And so if you, you, know, you can go to the institute and study for a period. So um, See, some, yeah, that was my sort of introduction. That's awesome, mate. That's a lot, lot, thanks for giving us some background there. Like, I feel like um, in a euphoric, utopian, euphoric, utopian <laughs> environment, like I love the idea of uh, like somehow um, we can all be united over a, not necessarily a belief, but I guess just a truth, a sense of truth. Like I see you as a real truth seeker. So I, you, 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 can, you can talk about many different religions and find the truth in all of them. And um, that's what I would classify as someone I, can, I, I trust more, you know, than um, anyone that's got an agenda or any kind of, don't like to use the word, but dogmatic more um, approach to these things. And it, it, do, you, do you feel like there's a, there could be a way where we could, like, what would the teaching require? Or is there a way that you can um, encourage that from a young age in kids to find this inner sense of peace and love and connection to themselves and, and therefore connection to it all else? Um, you know, you know what I'm trying to say? Well, can I maybe add to that? I, I didn't, I didn't, um, I didn't go to church. Yeah. In fact, I hated anything to do with religion yeah. growing up because I had, um, an auntie called Auntie Gloria Yeah. <laughs> and Auntie Gloria used to sit down and start to preach to us the word of God and we'd be sitting having, you know, cake and tea and she'd get into us about having to join her church. And so my first, um, my first experience of religion was actually feeling like someone was imposing something on me that I didn't want. Gotcha. So I grew up not really feeling like I needed to go to a church or anything like that. But as I've gotten older, this need I have to actually connect with people, come together, like the fact that we're sitting talking about community, I'm interested in what a beautiful upbringing the two of you have had in church and then starting to find, you know, people like you were just talking about then, Justin, what is it? Why do you guys reckon we have this innate need to have community? Great question. Yeah. Survival? Justin? Well, I mean, I think, um, one, you can sort of take the biological line and say we're, we're sort of social beings or social animals and, um, uh, you know, there's some primitive need in that regard, whether it's for procreation and we need some needs and this and that whole deal. But that sort of, removes the meaning of of the experience right there's this like a meta there's this other level of awareness 
that says, okay, there's the interaction with other beings and that it's beyond some sort of transactional or like survival function, but there's a meaning behind it that, you know, so mm. what I fundamentally believe is that you experience, you frequently experience yourself in a conflicted state, right? You're, you're in a separated state, right? Uh, yeah. There's myself and then there's like the, the world outside me okay. and then they're frequently in conflict. Yeah. And when you commune, when you unify, when you interact with people through the community, you, you finally can integrate that. You can be in the world with others without conflict. Right. And mm. so it's one of the few times when you can stop being in a dualistic state of mind. Right. Right. When me and you stop existing and then the we-ness, right, which is really the plural of I, right? Yeah. And that is when you, that's the meaning of community in my set. In my, it's, it's for you to experience and manifest the I-ness, the oneness of the, of yourself in a greater form. Right. Right. So you, so, so you kind of saying like, it's, it's, it's hard to get your head Absolutely around a bit, but that. I love what you're saying. Like, so it's kind of the duality I can relate to tremendously, you know, like the, of yourself, the conflict in ourselves. But you, so you're saying when, when we connect with others, it kind of eradicates or like it doesn't give room for like, so you, you commune our soul, our two souls commune. Um, and so there is no other struggling to explain. No, no, totally back yeah. it. You, you're on the same, you're on the path. Yeah, it makes sense to me. Yeah, cool. I'm in that book. Em's got a book on her coffee table, which talks about symbols. And last night we're reading it and there was this, um, page on the symbol of one yeah. and how this concept of one changes um, in the West. One is this very mathematical, like I'm number one, I'm the winner. Mm. Um, whereas how um, Eastern religions and other cultures saw one years ago is that's what God is. God is the one. It's the process of everything. So like one was a sacred number, you know, the middle of the mandala. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of what you're saying. It's when you, you know, when you, last night I was at the tram stop and I saw a bunch of people but I wasn't looking at the individual. I was looking at everyone, the tram stop, and being like, they're all one thing. Because you can see them, and it takes away the foreground, and you see the whole background and how that combines together. Cool. I love that. Yeah. I saw this thing last night on Elizabeth Gilbert, the one, the author that did um, Eat, Pray, Love. Yeah. And she, she did this amazing yeah. TED Talk, I reckon everyone should check it out, um, about your elusive creative genius. And basically talking about, I love the way, because I... I felt like it was the thing I needed to hear, but it, the way she talks about genius and the way is the way the Greeks used to talk about it, which was something that was an entity, a divine entity that was outside of us. The muse. Yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. The genius. Um, so it, it's outside you and it's like this aloof thing that is never, can never be attached to your ego because it's, we, we, you openly channel it. So like it comes and it hits you and then it goes on. And she has this amazing way of talking about it where, I feel like it's so true. And that's why I reckon there's so much suffering in our world in a lot of ways is because we associate um, ourselves as that genius, but really we're not. We're just vessels to channel it. And um, I kind of, I, I love that because it, for me, removes that, that duality in myself, you know, that you're talking about, Just it, it removes that. Yeah. yeah, there's, you know, there's that tremendous pressure to be, um, that we either accept or we, I don't know where we acquired it from, but we definitely accept it in some, some point to, of this image of the hero, which is important. Um, but like the isolated sort of 
hero um, who saves the day or does this Herculean effort. Um, but the other side of that is a very sort of, you know, a, there's a suffering person, to be totally honest. Mm. And it's that's the ego. And then that's in some sort of, you know, it's, it's, this, it's this conflicted state, right, that I have to be a hero because the outside world, I don't trust it, or the other people, I can't trust mm. them. So I have to be the superhuman, yeah. right? This is like this. And, like, this is the set of decisions that many, I think, face, or, like, this sort of mental state that one chooses between to, you know, if I want to be competent or whatever in the world, like, I have to be a hero in a Hercules because I can't trust the outside world. Yeah. And it sort of is generates more problems and it sort of keeps you from access to higher power that other people have around you, right? Right. Um, it's like a so, little so, bit of a, so th- a, de- th- a deception in some ways. Yeah, right. So you're basically saying that people look for themselves, put all this pressure on themselves to become this hero rather than just calling beyond themselves, asking beyond. Exactly. Can, can I ask, Justin, um, uh you sound like someone who is awakened and has evolved and these are interesting words you put out, but to a mainstream audience, um, I feel like you're a lot further along this hero's journey. Um, if I'm going to call it anything, um, then mm-hmm. maybe somebody who's just beginning, who's never even heard of what awakened is or that we are one. So I'm curious about like times in your life. Like, can you tell us, maybe a little bit further back in at the beginning or maybe it was only last week. I don't know, but I'm, I guess I'm curious about, you know, do you still doubt and does the ego still pop up? And, and if you're in this oneness with the world, like how, if I was this, you know, young gun who's just started their hero's journey, how the hell do I get to just being somebody who, a hero that trusts that the universe is going to support me? Like, that's a bit further away yeah. from where I'm at. So I guess I'm curious about when do you still go through it or, um, and what would that look like? And what do you do with um, yourself to bring you back into this oneness? <laughs> yeah. You know, like I'm a big fan of people of giving me that vulnerability because then we learn from it rather than just talking about how we just need to tap into the oneness. You know, I want the realness almost. And I'm really happy if you are in one all the time. I love that. So, but give me the story, you know? Yeah, I, I, I'll just jump in before you jump in, Justin. I, I remember I asked you a similar question when we were in New York really? before we parted ways. And I was like, how are you? I'll get goosebumps talking about it because I was like, how are, you, how are you so like zen all the time? And like, do you ever struggle? Is like, but you kind of just had that answer that was, um, well, I'm forever, I'll let you just yeah, answer your fears out. Yeah. I want to hear it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, I don't explicitly recall what I said, but it's probably similar to, you know, yesterday, you know, every day is its own unique thing, right? Every moment is its own unique thing. And I don't have like a, a sort of anesthetic that I put on myself to stay in some state. Um, I think what um, I do have is a set of practices that allow me to be aware of what is destabilizing and creating a conflict inside of myself. And so, um, whereas I think I, so for example, you know, so kind of like rituals in San Francisco. Yeah. So yeah, for sure. Like I start the day 
so yes, I do have this, I do experience these destabilizations as it were, but they don't propagate in my system. I can identify them and I can stop them. What right. do you mean by right? propagate? Uh, like they don't like overtake me. They don't overwhelm me. Yeah. Right? So is it like um, you'll get a negative and so, thought and then instead of yeah, following that negative thought pattern, you go, you notice it and go, oh, that's just, you know, the Buddhists called it noticing the demons. And then when you notice the demons. It's Samara. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, so it's, keep going. How do you... So, you know, like how, I do you, think, how do you, how do you, <laughs> <laughs> you know, well, I guess I, I'd caveat it by saying that this is, I think really the hero's journey is in finding out your own how, yeah. right? right. And part of that is le- like listening to the stories of other people and experimenting with your own good processes and what works for you and what you think is helpful for your own personality and your own, your own way of being. But I start the morning and I have a meditation practice that I begin with. And then, you know, even after that, like my attention is really about like, it's going to sound silly, but just like really being saying, I love you. Yeah, great. Like all time, like all day. Yes. To, to Kendrick right? Lamar's I love myself. I love myself. That's how I, that's how I, I do love it. Myself. I don't even, I, I, yeah, something like that, but really it's not saying it towards anybody, but being okay with whatever is happening because. Beautiful. Like, I don't want to be in conflict with what's going on in the world. Doesn't mean I don't like. Doesn't mean like right. I can't discriminate against or say like this is this is not right, right? But there's a point where like okay, there's something is happening and it's not right. I need to fix it or I need to do something about it. But there's another thing that's saying this is fundamentally like wrong and I'm right and it's wrong. Right. Right. Like that that state is no longer like the conflict. Like there can be things in the world that I find that need that could be better. Right. And I am just trying to find some way to. Um, sorry, someone just walked in on me. <laughs> um, I'm in Chicago. What are you name? I. Uh, That's right. Man. No, I'm not. <laughs> I. I. Anyways, right. Lost my train of thought there, but the point is. Like, so if something comes up in the day and I've experienced some state of anxiety or there's like some shift in my mood or some shift in my state, my default state is peace. And I have such a clear experience of that, that anytime I shift out of that state, I'm aware of something, I'm aware of what's brought me out of that state. And then I can observe that thing and be like, what is that? And awesome. what is, is it something that, I, you know, can I change it? Can I, what can I change about it? Is it the way that I perceive it? So it's just a way of thinking about, I think for that, that's really the skill well, that I've cultivated I, I, at this point. Yeah. I reckon it, you, you've just basically well trained yourself to sit, sit on your soul and observe your being, kind of your brain, well, your thoughts. So does that mean like Jez and Ryan, um, what are your practices then? Um, well, I'm a lot more sloppy. <laughs> I'm curious. Yeah. Like, okay, yeah. if we're talking about this hero's journey yeah. and, you know, I'm seeing, Justin, that that's a, that's a beautiful, well-rounded, um, 
intentional practice that really does bring peace into your life. Mm. And I'm like, wow, can you, can people really do that? Of course they can, you know, you study it and it's wonderful to hear an ordinary hero going through life with that. So I want to know what do people practices when it's all in, when life is in conflict and shit's going this way and you know, you, you frustrated or stressed. Yeah. I mean, it swallows me up more than, I just want to comment quickly before we move on on the the no thing. That's something Evelyn's been t- talking to me about. That there's no no right or wrong. There's no thing. Um, is something she's been finding deep in meditations, like hours in, in meditation. This other lady I know, and th- it's funny that you bring it up just because it's like that. I feel like that is just that's something that's so far beyond where I am right now in my own journey that I know is true. It just rings lambas of truth. But it also conflicts with my current mindset, which is there are rights and wrongs. This is this is messed up in the world. This is messed up in the world. But like to really know, and like I'm excited about maybe in a year or whenever it hits me, really sinking into that truth that there is no thing. There's there's no right and wrong, and like really homing in on that because I I know it to be true. Um, just haven't experienced it like you have. Um, but yeah, for, for why? Because I'm a bit confused. You think that what he's saying is that there is no thing? Is that is that what you're saying? You're still in the conflict. That's what I'm hearing. I'm still me. more in the conflict. I'm more. I'm more. I get. Yeah, exactly. I, I am more in the conflict. I get. I struggle with seeing things, and I'm very empathetic towards the world. And I'm very emotional towards how the world state is, and I, I desire it to be more united. And it upsets me when it's not. Um, it saddens me seeing so much pain and conflict. And I know that it doesn't have to be that way because I know that every every human spirit has this beauty in them that um, that is not exposed, you know. Like, but then at the same time, I don't really know either. Like, it's 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 funny. It's a funny confliction. I feel no, well, not funny. It's real for you. What would you say to Jeremy, which I'm sure you have a few times before, (laughs) Justin, about his conflict? Yeah, what did you? What did I say, Jeremy, in New York? I can't remember. I'm uh, sure it was. Uh, when New York, you told me that um, you you said you said that like uh, for, I'm forever exploring it. my journeys every day, a step at a time. That's all I know. Um, but, but in regards to my yeah. conflict on the phone chat the other like last week, you said to me um, that uh, you're like you, your response was like you you're not even focusing on the bad. Like I was talking about this, like. The, the the powers that be that are controlling the media and whatnot um and the agendas of yeah. the evil eye or the evil energies whatever it is if it's in, it's just that's like i i'm very aware of the good and evils like there's good evils there's good energies and there's bad energies darkness light whatever else you want to call it there's two shades of life and i've experienced both in a tremendous depth um so i, I see when i see the darkness in others um, and controlling them and controlling masses of people and ma- in subliminally through the agendas of the media, I get to get into tumultuousness. But you seem to just say that that is what it is and you don't even focus your energy on it because it, it can kind of distract you or or maybe you just process it more consciously. I don't know. Can I make one comment on that? Mm. And I think... I, I think I mentioned this to you before, but like I, when I was younger, I had this curiosity about this idea of violence. Um, and I wanted to know what was violence. And yeah. was it something that we observed, you know, punching or physical or beating or fighting or war or whatever the situation may be? And really, like, where did this thing originate? Where, because I, you know, I'm American and I sort of came of age when the United States 
yep. went to war in Iraq, and I sort of felt like this is an important issue. Mm. And like, why are we fighting this thing? It doesn't make any sense. Like, this is completely mm. a horrible idea. Like, I'm embarrassed by my culture. I'm embarrassed by my country. Mm-hmm. However, I want to understand this thing. And so mm-hmm. I went and I joined the military. And part of my experience in there was like really trying to understand like what, where does this all come from? Where does this all begin? Where does, what is violence? What is evil? What is, I, you know, part of me was like, what, what's, what is the source of evil? What is the source of these things? Mm. And if you, so when I tried, to, I participated in this organization for six years and my conclusion at the end of that was, in fact, I was violence. What was when that? I was violent, and I, I am violent. I am violence. Right. Right. Like my, I can, I can engage in psychic violence by saying, having, saying things to myself. I can engage in verbal violence. I can engage in physical violence. I can engage in all kinds of violence in myself, on myself, towards myself, towards everybody. Or I can not do that. So what's the violence right. in others? Until like, I, well, it's the well war my point themselves. really is, is like, yeah. Well, I, until I can eradicate it from myself, right? Yep. Which is really the, that's kind of where I'm going with this is like, hmm. I don't, I can't worry. I can't say that the world is bad until I eradicate it from myself okay. and I haven't eradicated yeah. it from myself. Well, it's like, right. it's something one of my favorite authors Jack Cornfield talks about, he says the external wars originate from internal war of people feeling like they're not enough, that they need what someone else has, that, you know, it's, it's the greed inside us. And if we eradicate it and go inward and everyone works on themselves, because really it's the only thing you can work on. I can't change you, Jez. Mm. You know, you could. You've tried. I've tried. <laughs> <laughs> Shave that beard. I, I don't know. But what I can change is my, <laughs> um, what you can change is yourself. And that's what you see in meditation or not even change yourself. Be okay with yourself and stop that war within yourself. Imagine if everyone did that. If it was, yeah. All right. Let's share things with everyone. Let's. You know, let's oh, cultivate right. compassion and joy and equanimity instead of going, oh, but I need this material thing. I need that, let's say, I need that shirt because if I wear that shirt, I'll be a part of the tribe. <laughs> and what everyone wants is not the shirt. They want the feeling they get from wearing that Ryan shirt. Ryan really wants this sh- shirt at the top man at the moment, but his mum won't let him. Yeah, won't let him. <laughs> mum. Uh, is that what you're talking about? Yeah, so I, I yeah, think yeah, love that. That's yeah. what the meditation practice is, which I want to ask you, Jez, yeah. like when you were a Catholic or a Christian, um, what was your, did you find that the prayer and that sort of it translated yeah. well into meditation? Yeah. Com- yeah. Worship and prayer and reaching outside of myself was my sense, was my equivalent nowadays to just talk, yeah, yeah. Connecting with an energy outside of myself. I call it God just because I don't really care what it's called to be honest. But yeah. I like, well, the, you know, the Taoists called it the Tao and I like calling it nature. Yeah. I go, if you like yeah, into the Bible and change the word of God to nature, how different it would be. That's nice. I like that. I, I, I feel like. That's beautiful. beautiful. That is beautiful. That's I feel why like. we like Ryan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's cool. It's refresh. I mean, and that's what you're really well equipped at. Um, I mean, I'll just quickly comment on my journey. Like, I, I feel like I've found, I've reconciled my opposites in the past and then I've gone way off track again, you know, like, and that's the funny thing about everyone's individual journeys. That you, what, what, so what were you saying a minute ago? Oh yeah, ver, uh, sorry, turn, turn, sorry, just this is what my brain does. It, it shits itself he's sometimes. He's gonna catch up with it any minute. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I like. So, so just, your ability. I'd like to talk a moment about your ability to find common truths across many languages. Because mm. you, how many languages do you speak? 
So yeah, I speak, including my mother tongue English, I speak five languages, and that's human languages, right? So I'm also learning. I've been learning to speak like, dolphin, sort of program and speak <laughs> to machines, right? Uh, right. Yeah. yeah so I, I, was learning, I was learning how to build artificial intelligence systems in the past. You know, a year or so. Of course, so. you have just what you do Crazy. in your spare time. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, you know, fantastic. So, five languages being which ones? Can you just list them? So, we've got, you know, artificial AI. Then we've got. So, yeah, the English, the one that my mother gave me. I speak Spanish, um, lived in Madrid for a bit, and was a diplomat in Bogota, Colombia. Um, I speak Chinese. Um, I was a diplomat in Shanghai. Um, and I speak French, lived in Paris, oui, and, oui, and uh, I speak bonjour. Portuguese as well. <laughs> oh, man, Fantastic. that's so impressive. And so why do you ask him, Jez? Because when it comes to these common truths... What, what you, what yeah, I mean, the conversations I've had with Justin in the past is like I find you, you're, well, you've, you're well versed and very articulate in, um, in common language across all cultures or like a, a, a golden thread across many, like many religions or... You know what I mean? Just like if if you had to speak to that for a moment, um, what what would be some like head like stark headlines that you would see how different cultures um, perhaps conflict in? I don't even know what the question is. Maybe I'm, I'm hoping that you might be able to find. An well, you want to find what is the core human thing that we all have across yeah. cultures? Yeah. What yeah. are the universal I mean, laws think- principles? Thanks. You, you know the funny, the great thing about it is, and you. I'm sure you experienced this when you're traveling the world and you don't even need to speak languages to know this, just the normality of human life across the world. You know, people get up, they kiss their kids good morning, they make their kids breakfast, or they, you know, then they go to work, they do whatever they do in the office, mostly nothing, but then they come home (laughs) and then they have dinner with their family. They make love to their spouse or whatever, hopefully. Yeah, girl. They kiss their kids good night or whatever. <laughs> because when you said spouse, I don't know, like, because I don't know what language you're talking. But yeah. Whatever floats you both. But, okay. Focus. You know, it's so similar. You know, it's not even like it's like this profound thing, but it's the normality of it and the consistency across the world that's so profound, right? Mm. That really there is no difference. Mm. And mm. you know, it's so for me. You know, when I was the the the, the real thinking, you know, would be in this state, you know, learning these languages or whatever it was, and I would meditate, and I would realize that there was a layer of awareness behind all of the thought, right? Right. Like, it didn't, ha- it didn't express itself as words or languages or thought in that, in that language. There was something behind all of that, right? Yeah. And the thing that it was always articulating was always this normal, everyday, mundane things in the world, and that's all I could ever articulate. It was just the consistent normality that it always observed, right? right. It, was, it didn't matter what world it was in or what culture or what country or what city it was in. It was always people just walking down the street, holding hands or t- taking their kids somewhere or like smiling. I mean, of course, there's, you know, this unpleasant behavior you see every once in a while, but that's really actually marginal if you think about it, right? Hmm. And it's the, the vast majority of human behavior is so similar Right, and the only thing that's really different is what we like. The difference is in how we talk about it. Right, right? and so that was for me was always the like I was learning how to say the same thing fifty different ways in fifty different cultures. Right, and it was like 
Fantastic. I was I didn't need to like I always knew what the conversation was. I literally always knew what people would always be talking about, even if I didn't know what they were, were like the specific word. But you could always tell because what do humans do? All we do is live our lives, eat, sleep, be married, go to sleep, get up, do it again. This is life. And then eventually we die. Yeah, yeah. And then we die. I don't know. Everyone thinks of, um, not everyone, a lot of people in our culture think of death as this big, scary thing that comes and takes you away. But if you look at it, like. You can't wait for it, right? It's not that I just thought it's inevitable. It's an inevitable part of our lives. So instead of, as Alan Watts says, in our culture, we sweep it under the rug, we put people in hospitals, fill them with tubes, and then we pretend that they're not sick. It's not honored as such. You know, grandpa's, you know, the grandpa's in hospital and you ask the doctor how long I'm going to live. And the doctor's like, oh, no, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. And then the doctor goes outside and goes, nah, he's not good. It's like, we, you know, we're kind of we're afraid of death. <laughs> yeah, we yeah. sweep it on the rug. You lied in, to grandpa. Yeah. Don't lie to grandpa. But then in other other cultures, like I'm thinking of like the Day of the Dead in, is it Mexico? Where it's it's celebrated as the inevitable part of our lives. It's like yeah. we, we begin and then we finish. Like, an, you know, and it in allows ocean. for new life. So it's an honor to die. Yeah. Um, but yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? And this thing. And I'm, I mean, it, yeah. oh, sorry. Go. That was one comment on that is that most indigenous cultures have a death ceremony. Mm. And that's part of their rebirth into their adult form or their adult life or whatever it may be, right? Um, right. Again, because there's no you know, separation. Guinea, yeah, exactly. So, like, in fact, I think this is something that is, in fact, missing from modern culture is some ritual of rebirth into adulthood. Yeah. Right? The right of um, or to some yeah, something. We have there are sort of informal ones, but um and I think maybe you know, I actually think that this is going to be something that does start happening. In America I sort of am observing and I think it's happening through a lot of these tribes and a lot of these like more like local community based things where they are generating internal rites of passage that are meaningful within their subcultures, right? Because the culture at large has sort of, you know, not performed its duty uh, in that regard. Because we have sort of wanted to be perpetually Peter Pan in a lot of ways. Right? Mm. Um, so I'd be really curious. Anyway. To, no, no, no. That's great awesome. conversation. Because if these are like these rites of passage or these rituals, and again, they're not in mainstream. So even I even feel like I talk to the audience that um, I love hanging out with and working with because I grew up in it too. Um, is these rites of passage, like, what does that actually look like? Like, what would you do? If we were to give people these, what would you personally do to integrate it into society? Right. Example, I grew up in a youth organisation, so my parents passed away when I was younger, Justin, and so I gravitated towards these role models who were looking after young people. You know, they were a bit, I was a bit at risk, whatever, you know, language they would have used back then. Um, but, you know, he, he in... in um, Enter stage left came, you know, an AFL football player and a crazy psychodrama um, a director who thought if we just put these little workshops on. This is Jim Steins and Paul Curry. Yeah, yeah, who are well known in Melbourne. Um, and, you know, if we put these workshops on for young people and got them to really um, show up and be seen for who they are versus what they judge themselves about and then even talk about what they were judging themselves about. You had a whole room of other young people who, in the common unity, in mm. this community, would go, oh, 
I was going through that too. Um, I And this was a ritual that they put in place was these spaces where we could come into mm. and actually start to step into becoming an adult of mm. making we don't have to choose what society's told us that we need to be. Mm. Um, I, as a young at-risk teenager at the time, was in a room with some of the richest kids in Melbourne and we were still finding that our lives um, were very, very similar, mm. just with different environments. Um, and so it created um, uh, uh, this... Sense of unity between Sense your, of unity. Yeah. So this was like a really cool ritual that I thought that they were doing. And, of course, they went on to be incredibly successful. We worked with over half a million young people and it still runs to this day and it's run by youth leaders. Um, and, you know, even why I'm sitting in this room is because I love doing this for adults and... Well, the collective potential is that... Yeah, so this is my little way of what I would do. I would just keep putting these spaces of connection, people sharing. That's my ritual into stepping into being um, an adult or these rites of passage. What would you do? That's awesome. I just want to love what you do for a moment. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, you can love me. Because I I just kind of want to speak to collective potential and what they... I I think you'd dig it just. Because it's like they somehow make it it not only cool to care, but... uh, um, a, have the ability to create a loving environment where people can step in and find their own within purpose and, mm-hmm. and, and realize truly, that, which is community to me, is that we all are all the same. Everyone boils down to the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I just honor Collective Potential for doing that and, and Reach. Thanks. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I sort of also, um, when I was a child, my my father was not there, and my mother was extremely busy, and I almost felt like I was raised as a what's called a latchkey child in the United States, where your parents are like nowhere to be seen, mm. right? Yeah. And so, which is why again, sort of my church, and then my neighborhood, and any other ancillary community function I could find, I naturally like gravitated towards because you're seeking something. Mm to model behavior, you know, what adults or what does it mean to be, to be in the world? What does that look like? I need to, I need a model. I need something that's, you know, healthy. And, um, I think if you can give mm-hmm. young adults the choice, I mean, to be honest, if you don't give them the choice as young adults, when they become adults, they still haven't figured out how to be adults. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's um, right. They're just like big kids that still <laughs> haven't become adults. <laughs> And, you know, it's, that's, this is the challenge. And I, I feel like, um, you, you, you know, if you don't let them be aware that there's in fact strength in being vulnerable, mm, it, it yeah. takes a lot of courage. Right. It takes a tremendous amount of courage to acknowledge that you aren't perfect. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. And I knew like, there was a reason it freaks me out that. every time I have to talk to someone. <laughs> 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 They're going to see I'm imperfect. <laughs> Yeah, and then, like, this then. is the big, this, you know, so um, I I think that that's, that's, I guess I'd say that that's, you know, just the ability to be in a space where, in fact, that's, I think that's where the strength comes from, is that you acknowledge, okay, I can be vulnerable in front of this person, or, you know, incomplete, as it were, but evolving towards that completeness, and this person, I revealed this part of me to, toward to them and they perhaps can help fill some of those incomplete mm. spaces, you know. Mm. It's actually a reward, isn't it? Totally. Totally. 
because their, their default state is what? I'm not good enough, yeah. right? Yeah. I'm lacking in something, mm. right? And but it, it's not that you have that feeling that you feel bad about that, <laughs> right? Mm. It's like, of course, you're aware that you aren't perfect, right? And that's part of your own unique beauty. But then to feel bad about that is the real, that's like, that's the trick, right? That's where you get deceived into feeling like there's this meta layer of whatever about it, right? And you're part of your position on this earth is to come into this world incomplete, yeah. right? With a state of lack, as it were, and realize that, you know, in fact, you're perfect, but you're, part, you're evolving towards something higher. And it's okay, yeah. right? Yeah. And you can... Cool. show those things to other people, right? Here's where I'm not perfect yet. And I want to become better in this. And I want to remove this or gain that from my psyche or from my character. And there's no clear mechanism or no clear way to do that. You know, I think yeah, we, in the common culture. Right if, now. if I could right. use a metaphor of surfing, cause I know you're a surfer. Um, it's kind of like when you're surfing, you're on the surfboard and that's kind of like our small sense of self, the ego. Right, you're surfing there. But then you've also got one foot in the ocean, which is this large sense of self. So the large, it's not that you want to be, you know, one with everything all the time. It's just you want to acknowledge that your problems and, all, you know, um, your issues and all these things. And even like your good moments um, are only a small part of the picture. And it's connecting with that large sense of self at times and going back to the small and the large and acknowledging your own personal story. Not completely eradicating it and going to go live in a cave forever. You know, you still got to live your life, but it's... Well, you need the surfboard to surf, right? Yeah, it's it's doing both at the same time. Uh, Emma's so proud of that. <laughs> you should have seen the head nod. Like, I was like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've never surfed in my life. Oh, no, I have once. But, uh, but does that make sense? It's, yeah. like, it's not... People have this idea oh, totally. when they start meditating. They're like, I need to be mindful and in, you know, in my heart the whole time. But it's like, no, it's a it's a balance. It's going in and out, in and out. It's just finding your compass, I guess. Yeah. Everyone, like, everyone finds their own how in their own way. Um, and yeah, I, I thought you were going to use the analogy that ju- I was going to, I was like, yeah, you're going to use the analogy that just told me the other day, which was like, when he's like getting a sweet wave, he just feels like he is everything. <laughs> like, you know, those aha yeah. moments where you're flow like, state. yeah, total flow state. Yeah. That's what I thought he was going to say. Um, but yeah, I love that too, man. Um, I, I, I was like, I just, just to wrap up on a few points that I feel like I've taken out of this, um, I, I wanted to just like headline your learnings and say thanks for your time, just, but also just like reiterate to people that listen, like things to take away and think for themselves. Um, like I, I love the thing that I don't want to be in conflict with what's going on in the world, finding that and, and learning to eradicate your evil within yourself and focusing on that um, first and foremost. So always asking the question, um, you know, what's the, what's this, what is this feeling it's given me inside me? Like being more aware of your state. Um, and like, cause I, I feel like that's a learning you just gave me today. Um, um, yeah. And then finding your own, how, how you want to do it and just like really feeling out your own way to f- find this state of, um, awareness and consciousness. And then, uh, yeah, setting those practices and rituals. Um, yeah. So like, that's, that's kind of what I, what I feel I've taken out of it. And, and I suppose in that, in those practices, we can unite in our, in our common, um, common themes which is love i think if i could give one resource for anyone that wants to learn a bit more i think tara brock she's a really great podcast um and her guided meditations are so clear cool and so embodied whereas that's the problem i had with things like headspace and some of these apps that do it um for someone just starting out they're very um abstract 
and ambiguous. Right. Whereas Tyrobrach does a really good job at um like feeling inside your body and it's a good if you want to experience this feeling, I think she does the best job at it out of all great. the resources I've had. Is there anyone just you want to give a shout out to that you're reading about at the moment or inspired by? Well, I mean, I I practice something sort of called Vipassana. Um and that's really a mindfulness and does this whole body scanning thing. So you observe, you know, you're feeling like literally what's going on in your body. And that's just, you know, Goenka, uh, the book is called the art of living. Um, and they have a number of facilities actually in Australia. You can go and sit. It's free. How do you spell it? Silence. It's, a, it's the 10 day retreats, uh, it's, uh, silent retreats. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. So dhamma.org, D-H-A-M-M-A.org. And it's free, um, non-sectarian. There's no religion. It's just you with your thoughts, which is its own force. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, but I, I will, I'll say one of the things I've taken from this conversation mm, that this is it's beautiful about the modern world mm. is, and I think this is really the most powerful thing that I think I'm really grateful to have been born in this, in this age is that we're sitting, I'm like, we're oceans away. Do you know, I was, I was thinking this just was so connected. I was so in this. I was like, you're on the other side of the world. We haven't even said these in San Fran yet. Yeah. <laughs> Continue, yeah. please. Yeah, I'm in San Francisco. Yeah. yeah. And I think the, I feel so connected to the things that we're talking about and the fact that, you know, there's a community that extends beyond my geography, extends beyond where I am. Brilliant. And I, I think that the the thing the thing that we will create in our age is something called I like to call it the digital sangha. The, di- and the digital sangha what? Is the, Spiritual the digital sangha. Yeah. So the community, the sacred community, is the community. The sangha is the sacred community. Yeah. And if we can, we will create that digitally so that we can be spiritual beings wherever we are and. You know, you we can share these experiences across space and have these conversations and continue to reinforce our 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 learnings, right? Um, so awesome. I think it's really beautiful. It is That's incredibly amazing. beautiful, and you know the social enterprise that um, underpins this, or maybe is. Uh, spoken through us in so many ways is collective potential and it only is about when you grow, we grow. And so that is a beautiful out from Mm. today's gorgeous conversation. Um, You know, if we're talking about unleashing human potential, uh, it does come in just subtle forms of conversations and speaking with people who are on the journey and are happy to take their message back to the tribe by just living it. So you are the epitome of the hero who's doing that um, in their ordinary or extraordinary way, Justin. So thank you so much for hanging out with us and having great chats, these boys. I'm very lucky. I <laughs> love listening to it. It has been. It's been absolutely beautiful. So thank you. Thank you very much. 